Thank you. Take a seat. Take a seat. We're ready to go. I love this. We're into a brand new series. Our young people are away at camp. I had the honor of being there uh, Friday and sometime Saturday and just see what God is doing in and through the next generation of young people across every Good Life Church is brilliant to be a part of. And uh, we're celebrating, we're praying for them and, uh, and knowing that right now that they're meeting. So it's not just the young people, it's all of the leaders, the team, the volunteers are also a part of that. And so when you see one of the dream teamers from the youth team, anytime, pat them on the back and say thanks for, uh, for, for taking care of the next gen. Is that cool? Fantastic. I think we're good. Thank you, Ben. You've got a lovely keyboard. It has flashing lights. I like it. Nice work. Well, if you get your Bibles with you, um, we are going to go through a bunch of scriptures here today. Um, we're covering the topic of history, holy or hoax. We're exposing the most burned book and uh, burned, bought and banned book ever. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to get there in a second. Over the next four weeks, you will hear uh, four different preachers, pastors from Good Life Church, who are going to talk to you from their, uh, their studies, their angle on the thought of, can you really trust the Bible? And, uh, and then not just can you trust it, but what would we do with it if we were? What's the, uh, what's the consequences of not trusting the Word of God. And we, what we want to really focus on is if I live a life on the Word of God, what does it actually look like? If I live a life by the Word of God, obedient, does that mean that no problems happen? No. Does it mean that no issues happen? No. Does it mean that no challenges happen? No. But what it means is I'm living upon a solid rock and not shifting sands. And that is really, really what we want for every single person. And so um, you will find other preachers. They will go into certain things that make them uh, light up when they read something. Because I, I was talking with my wife who's preaching right now at our Foster Tankari campus, and she's going to talk about the historical accuracy. Uh, the Bible is one of the most, if not the most, trusted history books on the planet. Um, I love it because the Bible includes not just the stories of brilliance by its heroes, but its idiocy by its heroes. And I think, you know what, because I have moments of brilliance and idiocy as well, and I think that's a very human thing to do. Um, the, the, the translated exactness across, if there was one book that you could put together all of those different letters, books, historical accounts, uh, lyrics like in Psalms, words of wisdom from uh, the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and put it all together, and then go, how many thousands of years later, if you were to read what we're reading now and find out the times that, that those words words that were written through centuries ago were tried to be burned, banned, uh, blocked, um, that they, no one would ever be able to hear the Word of God, um, that, well, that you go all the way back to original manuscripts and you will find what we read today is in its exactness so, so exactly close. Um, and, and I love it that there is then consistency, the prophetic, uh, and my gorgeous wife will go into the prophetic of that, words of wisdom and prophecy that came in the Old Testament um, outworked with their exactness into the new and now continuing on into even today's age. There is uh, really, we're going to dig right into this and in that whole thought that you could uh, trust it. There, you'll find there'll be heroes like uh, in my studies in the last week. I, so I had a sister who for over 12 months smuggled Bibles into China out of Hong Kong 
in the early uh, sorry in the in the mid in the early to mid um, 1990s uh, when it was very very risky to do so. And uh, why did she do that? Because she knows that in a country that the Bible was banned, that the Bible was words of life. That in China there's people huddling around a page or two trying to actually get these are the words of life. And how often do we just take it for granted? So my sister was doing that, but then I did some study and you'll find these people that to get the Word of God into the hands of the common person over history that they've taken such big risks. Uh, one of those guys was a name by Wycliffe. And, and here's just, out of all of my reading with that, here's just one little take. Wycliffe's under, undertaking marks the point at which the story of Bible translation begins to get murderous. When his great work appeared in England in the late 14th century, it led to a series of prescriptions issued throughout Europe against the making and owning of vernacular versions of the Scriptures. In 1415, Jean Hu, a Czech follower of Wycliffe, was burned at the stake with copies of Wycliffe's Bible as kindling for the fire. In the early 16th century, a resident of Norwich was executed for the crime of having a piece of paper bearing a vernacular transcription of the Lord's Prayer. And in 1536, the scholar William Tyndale was subjected to a botched strangling. Then he was burned at the stake for producing his magnificent English translation of the Bible. Very easy to take what we have now on an app on your phone for granted. The ability to be able to access that um, now is the Bible is the most uh, bought, the most banned, and the most burned book in the world. Uh, 186,000 copies of the Bible are brought every are bought every week in the United States of America. That's a lot of Bible. And that's in a lot of different translations. And obviously those go across the world. And so when we go through this whole thought of history, holy or hoax, can you trust it? What would you do with the Bible? Um, I, am, I actually don't mind within my role of leadership, my role of God's calling upon my life. I have no problem not being the cleverest person in the room. I love it. And I, this week we had the committee management of Good Life Church. And I sit in that room with people way more cleverer than I um, and they would like they would like me to put the yeah, oh, stand up now committee management no the ones that would want to stand up right now they're not so clever but um, but but they, they they I don't mind being in there going look God what's my calling what's your calling I don't mind being amongst a bunch of preachers amongst a whole bunch of people that are more clever than I if I need to be the cleverest in the room well then we've got a very small room. Because you're going to be good in certain, every person, you're going to be good in certain areas, but across the gamut of life that you, uh, you're involved with, if you have to be the cleverest, the most knowledgeable, the most, I'm the one, you've got to listen to me, um, then, we're, then we actually build quite a small world. And when I sit with the preachers over the next number of weeks, you'll hear from Pastor Beck Layla, um, who's a brilliant Bible scholar, and, and Pete and Beck are pastoring an amazing church at, uh, at Toronto. You're going to hear from my gorgeous bride, and she is brilliant. This girl is so, so clever. And you can tell because the height of her powers was when she chose me to marry. Um, and then you've, got, then you've got Ben Perrin, who, um, anyway, we just had to find a fourth preacher. So, um, no, obviously very clever, clever man. Um, but mine has always been, as much as I have no, I had no problem with academics at school, but it was boring. Any people like that? You're pretty good at school. You were great in those studies, but you found it, that was me. Now, maybe it was the ADD. Maybe it was just that I found other things more fun. Maybe that all of that combined. But truth be told, I had no problem with it. But those academics kind of 
uh, bored me. And so mine has always been quite a simple faith. I rocked up into church at age 16 and they started preaching about the Bible and went, this is how it works. And I went, okay. And you know why? It's because I looked at where my life was going without Christ and I looked at the option of where it was going with Christ and I thought, that ain't living, Barry. I'm looking back at where I was going thinking, this is going down a hole. But where if I apply the words of Christ, even the things that I don't like about money, even, if the, even, the, even the things I really don't like in regards to I've got to forgive that person or God doesn't forgive me. I'm like, I can still see where that goes. I don't want to be bitter. I, look, I want when I've got financial struggles to be able to go, God, I, I trust you. And I'm, I'm not through the end of this because God, you are on the throne. I'm not quite through this. God, you are my provider. If I could say that and if I could do that and live in trust, the whole point of going, this is where this trajectory is going. This is where this trajectory is going. I don't want that. Mine has always been a simple faith. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus pictures it this way. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Obviously, there's a lot of angle on that scripture in regards to service, having no problem being the person that serves when nobody sees and nobody notices. But yet there's a lot of different applications here, including that whole thought of coming with a childlike kind of faith. What kind of childlike kind of faith would I want to walk in? I'm not saying childish. And everyone, all of us have those childish moments. Everyone have those, those moments of, oh, I'm kind of betraying the maturity that I really should be walking in right now. Don't we all have those kinds of reactions, those silly times? Or um, We all do that, but I'm not talking about the, it's not the childish. It's going, well, what is childlike kind of faith? I, I, could, I could pitch it this way. I love to take my sons surfing. And they're all at youth camp, so I can say what I really want right now and their mother's preaching at another campus, I am fine until I hear the podcast. So, um, so now, um, Sam's up for the surf until he's just, all of a sudden, he's like, I'm done, and then I may as well not try. Um, Josh, he's kind of up for a bit of fun, and so if he can just get his bodyboard and just crew, like, he doesn't want to catch, he just wants to have fun, and I'm like, knock yourself out, kid, because if we can have some fun one day, he'll be like, so I want to do surfing trips. When I'm old and older and crustier, like, so what I want to be able to do is go, boys, let's go for a surf trip. Yeah, dad. Like, what a great holiday with the kids, right? Because Beck, as an introvert, very happy to sit on the beach, read a book. And then when we come in, say, well, let's hang out. Lunch won't be prepared, but we can go and find that. <laughs> and so, but my Joel has been the one that's like, I'm in. Like, he's always, that's, the, that's Joel. He's always in. And so, but early days, I would take the three boys out, and no matter the size of the surf, what I would do is I would grab them and I would kind of walk them out because I can handle the surf. And I know that when a big wave's coming, I can jump down and I can grab a hold of the sand, and the wave just goes over. You just pop up on the other side. We'll be fine. Um, reminds me of the time um, when I was a youth pastor on the Sunshine Coast, and we had a guest speaker by the name of Nick Vojcic. You might know Nick V. No arms and no legs. And so we were doing all these youth crusades with Nick V. And uh, Pastor Ben Perrin was on my team and he was, he was in charge of taking care of Nick because Nick has lots of needs that you have to take care of if you don't have arms and legs. It's hard to do a range of different things. 
And yes, ask Ben about that another time. Um, anyway, so Nick goes, I want to go out in the surf. And so Ben has to kind of get him through the waves. And Ben's going through, goes under a wave and loses Nick V in the white water. I'm like, that little chicken drumstick he's got going just does it. It's not enough to get motor. He will work that thing. Anyway, so we eventually found him. And I'm like, <laughs> anyway, so um, I decided I'm going to take my kids through the surf. And any time that they were stressed, I'm going to stop and I'm going to go, who's with you right now? Dad. And? Is there any need to stress if dad's got you? <laughs> no. <laughs> so if Nick V's in the arms of Ben Perrin, is there ever any need to stress? Mm, yes. Um, no, but there's not. And what I'll say to Joel would be all the way through, I'm like, right, this is a big wave, but if daddy's holding on to you, we're going to get through this. And sometimes the water does this, it's like a washing machine, and we're going to come up the other end, and we're going to breathe, and it's going to be okay, buddy. You're like, okay, Dad. And so all of a sudden now, Joel's just got courage. He just goes for it. Why? Because he worked out a long time, if Dad's with you, it works. And this is kind of like my childlike faith when it comes to the Bible. I can go through all the manuscripts, I can go through all the stats, I can go through all the history and the prophecy, but truth be told, the thing that really has, has really been the thing that's latched onto my heart with the Bible is the thought that when I apply it with childlike faith, it actually works. And in the times when it looks like it's not working, the plan of God has not been complete. And I'm just going to hold on to God with that simple childlike faith because there's been times I've been in the water with Joel that he's had to be like, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is a big wave coming, boy. <laughs> like, we're going to be right. But what am I saying? We're going to be right. And we go through that because we're not through the other end yet. And while you're still with dad, it's going to be Okay, I stumbled into one of the greatest proofs of the Bible, and apart from all of the stats and all of the facts and all of the prophecy and all of the consistency and all of the history and all of the translated exactness of all of that, it's called confirmation theory. And you can dig into it. I did a whole bunch of study into this. There's, there's scholars at Stanford and Oxford that have gone right into confirmation theory. And there's a lot of different angles on it. And it gets very boring very quickly. It's a great cure for insomnia if that's an issue for you. But if you open the Bible, if you trust that God authored it across centuries by different authors, that he threw vessels that risked their life to write a letter and to get it to you. If you can trust it, it will work. In the times where it doesn't feel like it's worked, well, then the plan of God is not complete because you've got a loving Father. It's called confirmation theory. Um, it means that even Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, when the devil comes to tempt him and he says, turn that rock into some bread because you've been fasting for an extended period of time and I guarantee you want some carbs, he said, devil, it is written and quotes the Bible. And the three different temptations that Jesus faced by the devil Jesus responds with, it is written. Why? Because the Bible works. You can trust God. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is God breathed. If I can trust that, I can keep on reading the rest of the scripture. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Yes, there have been times that I've been the person receiving rebuke and correction, and for training in righteousness. And there's many times as a pastor, I've got to do the same. And it, it is never, never fun. 
I love seeing, I love being the person that goes through it through the other side and go, God, you've made my life bigger because I've received that rebuke. I've received that correction. And I love seeing people that go, you know what? The Word of God says that. I'm going to change my life because of it, because I know that it works. The confirmation theory is that if you'd apply it, it actually works. So all of this scripture is why? So that a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped for every good work. In Nehemiah chapter 8, there's been a time of exile. There's been a time where the children of God have been off, not been able to read the Word of God. It was life to them. And when they got back to the, back to the city, when it was all uh, built then again, Jerusalem's gates and walls were built, and then they built a stage so that the pastor, the preacher, the prophet could stand up and read from the Word of God. This was the response from Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them um, because they built a platform, right? They built this platform so they could see it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a hierarchical thing, but it was basically so that everyone could see. They thought, how could more people see that the Word of God works? We'll do this. We'll create a platform. And God creates a platform in your life so that when you start to apply the Word of God, people look on and go, something's different. People will see that the Word of God is alive when you stand uh, with clarity and faith and confidence on the platform he's given you. As he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Their responses were remarkable. They stood up, they praised, they lifted hands, they responded, they amended, they bowed, and they worshiped because a guy opened a book. A book got opened and they went nuts. That's a bit weird. I've never been a happy reader. I've never enjoyed reading. It's always been a discipline of my life. My wife has decided we were going to teach our kids how to be readers. And I said, Dale, that's your job. I've, I've never really enjoyed it. I've always been bored with the academics and it's kind of followed me. And so I will do things that are going to build my life. I'm going to build that around my life. I'm going to build the Word of God in my life. So it's been a discipline. So I've had to go, no, because this works, I need the Word of God in my life. And I like it that these people responded in this kind of way. Because I know if you trust it, if you'll read it, if you'll hear it, and you'll apply it, that it works. And there are so many areas that it works. If you read and find out and receive the Word of God in regards to finance, it'll talk about having faith talk about having stewardship. It'll talk about running from debt because the borrower is always slave to the lender. It'll talk about to be generous. It'll talk about tithes. It'll talk about offerings. It'll talk about all of these principles that I go, am I going to trust my ways? Am I going to listen to Koshi or am I going to listen to God? Which one do I choose? Because I don't find Koshi always so consistent. But I do know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to apply it. If it means when it comes down to the way that I give judgment, the way that I receive judgment, the Bible says the same measure that which you judge, it will be measured back to you. Judge not lest you be judged. And so there's always a, if you throw judgment at someone, it's going to come back that same way. It doesn't say don't or you go to hell. It says don't because the consequences are pretty rough. I found that the more judgment that you dish out, the more people are judgy of you.
I found it when it comes down to things like pornography. People go, well, it's not in the Bible. Well, I'm like, well, everything around the topic that is all of the heart and the soul of that topic is in the Bible. What about when it says to keep the marriage bed undefiled? What about when Jesus said, you've heard about adultery, but I say if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. And then I think of the very practical aspects, like if I engage in porn, I'm funding a industry of abuse and harm to someone's daughter, someone's son. And I go, you know what? If I was to apply the word of God, well, then it works. It means that my marriage bed stays undefiled. I'll keep my eyes upon the woman that God has given me in all of that purity. And what it means is actually quite a good sex life because Philippians says, whatever things are holy, pure, just, noble, of a good report, think on those things. So I'm very happy to think on those things with the right woman. That's very, very good. And God goes, you know what? Here's the other, here's the other thing. It could mess you up or it could build a great, great union in the future. I just found that it works. When it comes to forgiveness, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, some guy says, how many times am I meant to forgive? Seven times, Jesus goes, no, 70 times seven. All right, keep, keep counting. I don't know how good you are at maths. It's just a lot. It's just, it's just nonstop. How do I know that if I've forgiven? It's if, if it still comes up in conversation. If it still comes up in conversation, code would be, no, I haven't forgiven. I've, I've not forgiven the person. It doesn't mean I need to let that person do that again. I can have clear boundaries about not, not letting that happen around in my life. But it's amazing how if I've not forgiven, it keeps on coming up in conversation. It'll start with, I don't wish them harm, but I don't need to bring it up again, but I'm really okay with that person, but remember that church situation, but that person let me down, but forgiveness means that I'm set free and I'm forgiven by God. I found that it works. It's quite a light, burdenless journey to go. When the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren, well, I just realize I want to make the choice of just leaning in, of not just waiting to be consistently included, but consistently including others. And it's amazing when I find it where people forsake the gathering together of the brethren, there's a few things that happen. People that isolate will either do it passively or they'll do it aggressively. They'll find fault and share it with others. It happens because they're forsaking the gathering of the brethren and it all comes around what they see is wrong. Now, if you're looking for wrong things in the church, you'll find heaps. You know why? Because you came. And I came. And then Tim Salvini's here for a week, so it just went up. But here's one that we've really got to get our heads around, I think, as a church. And that comes from Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18 through 20. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So immediately they left their nets and they followed him. If we can go back to verse 19 and just keep it up on the screen. If I'm seeing that Jesus says, come follow me, I'll, make you, I'll send you out to fish, fish for people. Well, if I'm not fishing for people, well, I'm missing the key thing about following Jesus. 
Because if I'm going to read those things with a very simple faith, I've got to go, following includes fishing. doesn't always mean catching. There's people in your world that need Jesus Christ, and my following of Jesus always must be connected to the fishing, or I'm not actually following. And as soon as I forget to fish, I've forgotten to follow. It's a very, very simple take, but it's backed up by a range of different scriptures. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man, Jesus himself, this was his heart, came to seek and save the lost. How do I read those scriptures with a childlike faith? It's by saying this is the life that we want to live. And before we get to the deep teachings of Scripture, we've got to actually tick the boxes and nail the very foundational things or we're building something high upon a very, very shaky foundation. If I can't apply these things personally, then I miss it. And so you'll find over the next number of weeks, they'll talk about all different kinds of stats and philosophies and all sorts of different stuff. Very, very clever people. But if we can just start with the whole thought of I can be childlike in my acceptance and receiving and then living out and then applying. And yes, Jesus, if that's what it says in the word, I'll give it a go because I know that it works. And if it doesn't look like it's working right now, then I know it will work because God, you're trustworthy. Sometimes when I'm out surfing with Joel, and the other two have given up a long time ago, and I'm on Joel's foamy, and I can push him on a wave, and he stands up, and it's fun because we're cheering and hooting, and he loves a little bit of attention, that kid. But we're going through, and there's a wave, and I'm going, this is decent. And not only have I got to get the kid, I'm not just holding a kid now and getting him under. I'm on a big foamy board, and it's got a lot of buoyancy, and I've got to get on and duck dive that big foamy board, plus with Joel on it. And I'm like, buddy, this is going to be fun. We could get a bit knocked about a bit here and I'm going right and so what I'll do is I'll, I'll get he's on the board and I'll jump on top and I'll duck dive with him he's the sandwich between me and the board and I'm like go through and I'm like hopefully we've got enough momentum to pop up the other side but sometimes it doesn't work we're getting ragdolled around and all kinds of different stuff you could apply any of those things you could try to forgive and it hurts you could I've been tithing I've been giving my offering but God hasn't come through on my behalf I, I'm, I'm trying not to judge. I've got this battle with porn. Maybe you're finding fault and gathering and talking with people about the fault. Maybe you text each other about that fault. And, and that's, that can work. Maybe I'm thinking, well, church, it's got to be now for me to grow instead of for my growth being all about being a follower of Christ leading to being a fisher of men. Of course, that's what we'd want. You might struggle with any of those things, but can I say that, the, that this last year or two, I've got this one little kid that I can take through some really big surf and go, you know why? Because way back when we decided if you're with dad, you're fine. If you trust dad, you'll be fine. Now, this is a dad that's fallible. But we're talking about a dad who's not. Sometimes we're in the middle getting ragdoll all through the washing machine of life. And I'm so glad that Joel just realized dad is keeping you safe. To, to show this example, I've got my friends Mick and Christy. If you guys can come up, uh, I've got some volunteers. Here's two I prepared earlier. If you guys can just come along about here and stand right here. These are good people. Give it up for Mick and Christy Can. If you could face, face the crowd, look at them. You can even wave at them possibly. Mick Cairn, how many years have you known me? A lot. <laughs> You're a sucker for punishment. 20-something years. Yeah, sucker. Um, God bless you. Um, so here's, here's the thought. Um, what I know about Mick and Christy, 
is that through ups and downs and being their friend and being their pastor is that they've gone through some ups and downs. But yet they've come into church serving. They've come into church smiling. They've come, and even in the last week or two, there's been some rocky roads. It's not always been easy. But yet they come like this with a simple kind of faith. And if you talk with them about finance, they'll go, we just trust God. Have there been, has it always been easy, Mick and Christy? Have there been some significant downs? I'm glad you nodded because I know about those. Um, but where's God in all that? Well, God's keeping on working through. There'll be times as people that have served in a range of different areas and led people, that people have unwritten and unspoken expectations about what their leader, their pastor should do. And I can guarantee you they've copped it because of it. But the Bible says, judge not. And so isn't it amazing how I look at a couple like that and I go, because they haven't returned fire, it just wasn't easy at the time, but it's water off a duck's back. Christy's looking at me, what are people saying about me? <laughs> no, they said about Mick, darling, don't worry. What about with the temptation of when it comes down to porn? And you might go, okay, everyone's eyes are on Mick right now. Don't look down, mate. <laughs> but I know this attacks both sides of a marriage. I know guys and I know gals that struggle with this. With the temptation of lusting after someone else and not your spouse. But I, I was there on the marriage day. The beach that you got married on is not there. It's been eroded away. I'm glad that you haven't eroded away. But here's a couple that have said, you know what, we're going to continue to unite and grow closer and not let those things get between. What about in the thought of forgiveness? What about in those difficult times? Could be family. Could be someone did something to my kid. But you'll watch these guys and they'll go, you know what, I just forgive. Why? Because as much as these are two very clever people, they both have a very simple faith which is why it's very easy for me to be able to go watch this example. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant people. What about that whole thought of gathering? What about for the simple fact that Mick and I served on a youth ministry a million years ago in Brisbane, and he was my right-hand man, and yet when we said we're going to plant a church in Newcastle, Mick goes, I'm in. And, um, and Christy goes, all right, I'll do it as well. <laughs> Let's go for it. And we didn't end up planting a church in Newcastle. We walked into here. And they arrived here before we even arrived as our secret little mole plant just to find out stuff. <laughs> sort of things out. Um, but what about that when we did life so close that they were department leaders and in our home on a regular basis and now with what's happening at Good Life, um, we don't hang out so much. We've talked about hanging out. We've said we should do that. Our kids hang out, but that's rare that we get to hang out. So what's the deal? That could be very difficult. But yet, with a simple faith, they've said, let's celebrate what God's doing in and through what is happening here. What about this whole thought of being a follower, of being a fisher? Here we go. We've got two people that are not the largest extroverts I've ever known. Very happy to be under the limelight right now. I made sure that Jenny got a light right on your face. But yet I know that with every opportunity they have, that they see that God opens to them, they will share faith. I love it. And you know what's the big kicker in all of this? That this is also not just about Mick and Christy. 
This is about the kids that are watching in their home. And so I need to bring in, I was trying to bring in Reuben, but he's at youth camp. So I've got a Reuben replacement. We've got the right, we've got the right hair length. And look, Reuben, I've got about the similar hair length. This is, this is actually Luke Dodds' sister right here. She's, um, anyway, she's legless. This is the whole thought. That in the middle of facing all of those potential issues and having a simple faith in regards to finance, judgment, porn, forgiveness, gathering, or saying I'm a follower of Christ, therefore a fisher of men, and I'm not an extrovert like Dave, but yet I'm going to do my bit. Who's watching is not just Reuben or the replacement Reuben, but the kids as well. And right now they've sent their kids to youth camp. And let me tell you why this is super important, to go all the way through the way that we apply all those things with a very simple faith and go, God, I can trust you. It's got something to do with these guys trusting God like Joel trusting me in the surf. And it's saying, God, you know what? You've given me these kids and I'm going to trust you with them as well. That even when it's difficult, they're watching on and seeing a better way. Because you know what Reuben needs? Reuben needs a church that doesn't play defense in high school. So what Reuben needs over here is a church that says, if you follow Jesus, you can fish for people. And we've got a youth ministry that, we've got Tyler, we've got a kids ministry that says that's for you as well. And so for me, here's what I want. I, I want Mick and Christy to live with some peace in their heart going, I've applied this and I know it works. And even when it doesn't look like it's working right now, even when I'm going through difficult times, this works. And I want, even, even, even in the most difficult times, kids to look on and go, you know what? My parents are living by faith. Those youth leaders around me, those kids leaders, they're living by faith and they're encouraging me to live by faith as well because it works. Because Reuben, if we, play, if we play defense in youth ministry time, this is what happens, defense, youth ministry. What happens is we play games every Friday night. And I want a youth ministry for our young people that's fun because I don't want them to be like, it's, we don't want to just sterilize the thing so much. You want to have some fun. There's got to be a bit of zoo. There's some crazy games and pranks going on the weekend over at the camp, right? All sorts of crazy stuff. You want them to have fun. But in the end, it's got to be the simple application of the gospel because in the end, Reuben gets a chance to go, I could win my world. This is awesome. And when the temptation comes, when? And the parents might be like, gulp, what kind of temptations are coming? were very similar to the ones that they faced just with technology. A little bit more subversive. When a girl is offering nude pics and favours to a teenage boy, a youth ministry that plays games will not compete. And so we've got a couple of options. Do we insist that the way that we do life and the way that we do church revolves around this very simple faith of followers of Christ that fishes for men? Or is it I'm coming to church to receive what I want to receive? What I want for Reuben 
Because I want Reuben to grow up knowing Jesus and knowing how to change his world. Not knowing Jesus and having the world change him off that. I'm pretty sure that's what the parents want. Okay, I got a nod. I was pretty sure. I've known you for a while. That's consistent with what I know of you. That's good. You guys can take a seat. Let's give it up for Nick and Christy. So the way that Mick and Christy train up a child and the way they should go, the way that they, it's not just in what they say or what that kid hears at youth ministry, it's what happens with the way they handle their finances, judgment, porn, forgiveness, not forsaking the gathering and also fishing themselves. We're giving that family and every family a life filled with adventure that creates bigger people. I'm going to encourage every one of us to live that kind of life. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's childlike faith, but it's not childish. It's not always my preference, but confirmation theory says that it works. You can add over the next couple of weeks all sorts of things about the prophetic, the historical exactness. But I think we just need to know that when the book gets opened, not just on Sunday, but every day when I open it for myself, I can take it with a simple faith. And if there's something you don't understand, that's why you're going to find Jason Law Award banging on. Let's go to Connect Group. Because with the Connect Group leader, we can actually delve into that and find out how we apply that. And that's difficult. It's not always easy. No, it's not. I told you it wasn't easy. It works, but it's not easy. A childlike faith is, a childlike faith is not childish. But it takes me trusting that the God who authored that knows me and loves me and has the best intent. And if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for my God is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. His word leads me and guides me. And I can apply it and know that God, you are true. Last story. A couple of weeks ago, just trying to get Sam's hours up on the driving. Went up at Boomerang Beach. There's crowds up the north and crowds at the south. And I said, let's stop in the middle. Sam didn't want to go out and get sunburned. Probably just didn't want to go and surf. Josh and Joel said, yeah, we'll go with it. So I went out in the middle and I'm like, great, there's a bit of a sandbank. There's a gutter between. But all we have to do is get through the gutter and we're onto that sandbank. We can have some fun. Those waves look really, really fun. And so I took Joel out on the big foamy and we're going across the gutter and I realized this is deeper and quicker in this side side wash than I'd noticed but I've got him across and the problem is the closer you get to the sandbank the deeper it is and the, and the, the, the faster it flows and I'm an experienced guy in the water it's fine we got him there and I'm like I better help Josh and I turn around and Josh is launching in and all I can see is Josh getting sucked out towards the the rip because that side has got to, it's got to go out somewhere. And Josh was getting right towards the edge. And I'm like, because I had to walk him through it. And Josh is getting, you know, it's a teenage kid. They kind of get to their, and I'm kind of done. And I'm like, you are two meters from getting to that sandbank and the water is going to be up to your knees. But currently it's like overhead and a half. And that thing is flowing. I'm like, go. I'm like yelling at Josh, go. Put it in, son. Go, you good thing. You got to paddle. But oh, I'm dad, I'm tired. You get that. You've got a big body for a reason, boy. Use it. eventually gets there and we get up on the sandbank and even on the sandbank the water was rushing through and I've got two kids and I'm thinking this all it takes is for one little thing to go wrong and this is not good 
and the waves were coming through bigger. You know, we get at the back and it's a little bit bigger than you thought. And I made the dad decision because you're fine if you're with dad. Dad had to make the call. This is not safe. God bless you. And I said, let's go. And I said, I'll get Josh across first. I left Joel with his big foamy and, and the water was rushing through, but still at about knee height. And I'm like, Joel, you stay here. And I put him on the safest part of the sandbank I could. Knowing that Josh was already really tired, I got Joel across on his own. And I'm, I know that Joel's just gonna hold onto the board no matter what. We taught him that on the surfboard. And so I got Josh back to the, I got Josh back to the shore. And I turned around and I could see Joel struggling. And that's the time where dad swims as quick and as fast and as hard than he's ever swam before. And I turned around from the shore. So, which, so Joel was starting to go this way and I just pitched in the way that he was going. And as I got to him, he'd gotten further than I thought. He'd been sucked off the sandbank, but he'd done what I told him. Do exactly what dad says and hold onto that board. And I'm thinking at that point, I'm glad Beck's not watching. She might be listening to this podcast, but I'm glad she's not watching. And Joel gets sucked out in one of the biggest rips I've ever seen. And I thought, you know what? I've made a bad judgment. He's right out the back. And there's no one anywhere near him. So I just put it in and I'm swimming as hard as I can. And I get out to this kid. And I'm expecting him to be a blubbering mess. I'm expecting him to be like, that's the worst thing ever. I said, how you doing, buddy? He said, I'm just sitting on the board. This is great, Dad. <laughs> Josh, he looks really small in there. <laughs> no, he didn't. So we did the thing, kind of sandwiched him, and I paddled all the way back. I got out of the rip and came through and went through the waves and across the sandbank, and we got in. And we sat on the shore. And both the boys said, we wouldn't have made it without you, would we, Dad? He went, no. Numbers, chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not human that he should lie, and not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I'm so glad my kid was, number one, following what I said when tough times came. And number two, he had a leg rope holding him onto that board. And that's exactly what your dad wants for you. It's a very simple faith. It's a very childlike faith. It's not easy and it's not childish. It's a dad, I can trust you. And I have a confession to make. That last part of the story is a complete fabrication. Why do I say that? I prepped it. I just lied to you. It's going on podcast. Why did I say it? Because you can trust the word of God. You can't always trust people. As much as I came up with a great story that reinforced what I wanted to say out of the Bible, can I suggest that this childlike faith is not about people, but about the word of God that comes from him and not from humans commenting on it. 
you can see all kinds of garbage on the internet and go, wow, is that what the Bible is all about? And I'm going to learn to read it myself. I'm going to learn to apply it myself. I'm going to learn to grow myself because I want a childlike faith. And if I've got kids growing up watching me, I'm going to apply this because when it's difficult, I don't want to go by the opinions of other people who might be able to twist. What I want to do is go by the unadulterated, perfect and pure Word of God that leads and guides through my darkest hour. And Joel didn't get sucked out that rip and no, I didn't get in trouble by Beck. But today, can we be those that say, you know what, this Word is going to go into my heart hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God and I'm going to live it with childlike faith so that it's best for me and it's best for the Rubens that are watching on in your life. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you today, Lord God, for your love, your power, your strength for every single person that we would be childlike. We say yes. Confirmation theory says that when we apply it, it works. God, I pray for those that have thought they've tried to apply it, but it didn't work. Heartbreak happened. God, I pray that you would lead and guide us in the completion, the complete work of following you and following your word, of trusting in you, not bailing just before we're about to walk into the greatest harvest. God, I thank you that today those that um, have, have given and received judgment or, 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 or not given forgiveness, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be softened. We'd say yes to a very childlike receiving of your word that before we want to go on to deep things of the Word of God, that we apply these things, this childlike faith, because we trust you. Childlike faith in regards to, we want to follow you, therefore fish for men. And anything that gets in the way of us being decent people that fish for other people is the kind of thing that we reject and say we're not being childlike anymore. God, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's childlike, but it's not childish. And I pray for people with the strength of men of God and women of God that are trusting you, the God of heaven, the God of strength, the God of might, the God of power, in the middle of getting ragdolled in the washing machine of life that we hold on and say, God, you're true, even when my feelings aren't. God, you're strong, even when my emotions aren't. God, that you are true and consistent even when my situation isn't. We trust you with a childlike faith and say yes.